If you would turn with me in your Bible to Mark chapter 12. We'll be looking at Mark chapter 12, uh, just a few verses at the end of the chapter, verses 38 to 44. It is on page 1008, if you are looking in the Pew Bibles. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and we will uh, continue doing so over the next several weeks uh, leading up to Easter Sunday. So today we're looking at Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. Let me read these words for us. And in his teaching, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Who are your heroes? In other words, who are people that you take notice of, look up to, want to be like, proudly associate with, and publicly praise? Perhaps it's a professional athlete, an actor, a musician, perhaps it's an accomplished professor, a teacher, a scholar, a pioneer in your field, or maybe it's a skilled craftsman, someone who knows how to make stuff and fix things. Maybe you have a family member or a dear friend that you've come to really admire and look up to. Admiring others is a very natural human activity. It begins in childhood. Children naturally look up to their parents, and as we grow up, our horizons uh, usually ex gradually expand. And that's part of how we learn. That's part of how we grow as human beings, by looking up to people, by admiring them, by noticing them. It's also part of how uh, the Bible describes how we learn and grow as Christians. As followers of Jesus, we're meant to honor, admire, and follow people who embody the character of Jesus Christ. So that's why the Apostle Paul sometimes says things like, follow me as I follow Christ. But the passage we're looking at this morning shows, highlights a problem. Namely, our admiration can often be mis- directed. We can admire people whom we ought to beware, and we can ignore people who we ought to admire. One person said, God's way of measuring reality is not our way. So this morning, I want to look at this passage in two parts. Uh, verses 38 through 40, the people we admire whom we should beware. 
And then verses 41 to 44, the people we ignore whom we should admire. So first, the people who we admire, whom we should beware. Jesus said, beware of the scribes. Now, the scribes were highly respected leaders in, his, in Jewish society at the time. A scribe back then was sort of like a college professor, a lawyer, a city council member, and a spiritual authority figure all rolled into one. Uh, most people back in those days were illiterate, but these men could read and write. And they had read and studied, often uh, copied and commented on, the law of Moses that had been handed down for generations. Their interpretations were influential. They also recorded and handled official documents. Some of them were members of the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin. Now, these scribes weren't necessarily the wealthiest people in their society. In fact, many of them relied on donations from worshipers and patrons, sort of like research professors today depend largely on grants, and church leaders are usually paid from the donations of church members. But scribes were distinguished from other people by their clothing, their long robes. Uh, everyone knew who these guys were. When a scribe walked by on the street or entered into a room, everyone else would rise to honor his presence. But here, Jesus said something that would have sounded quite surprising. Beware of the scribes. In other words, don't be fooled by them. Rather, be discerning about them. Now, why did Jesus warn his disciples to beware of these scribes? Because they're, despite their impressive appearance, many of the scribes were self-promoting and self-serving. Now, Jesus knew that not every single scribe fit this pattern. If you were here last week, we looked at several questions that people asked Jesus. And the best question was asked by an individual scribe who came to Jesus with a sincere and honest question, and Jesus gave him a uh, direct and extensive answer, and, 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 uh, and uh, Jesus, then the scribe enthusiastically affirmed Jesus' answer, and Jesus told this scribe, you're not far from the kingdom of God. So by warning against the scribes generally and some of the practices that characterized them, Jesus wasn't rejecting every individual scribe. He wasn't assuming that every individual scribe followed this pattern. Uh, however, the scribe that we saw last week was the exception rather than the rule. Many of the scribes loved to be admired. They, they liked to walk around in the clothes that distinguished them from other people. They loved to be honored in the marketplace, the economic sphere, the synagogues, the religious sphere, and at feasts in the social sphere. So in all kinds of places. They love to be first, they love to be seen, they love to be known, they love to be admired. But Jesus said that in their love for human admiration, they were harming vulnerable people and dishonoring God. Verse 40, Jesus says, they devour widows' houses. Now, widows were some of the most vulnerable people in the ancient world. Uh, they weren't only grieving the loss of companionship and partnership in marriage, they were also at risk in a number of ways. So economically, uh, widows had few job prospects, and so their economic survival depended largely on if they had an inheritance and uh, if they had an extended family who could take them in and or, and or the generosity of others. 
So they were economically at risk. They were also physically at risk. The ancient world was a violent and dangerous place. And a woman without a male protector was never really safe. Legally, the testimony of women was not, was not admissible in court under both Jewish and Roman law. And so a widow couldn't easily advocate for herself if she was being mistreated. So for all these reasons, widows found themselves particularly vulnerable in the ancient world. And if you read the Old Testament, over and over, God instructs his people to care for vulnerable people, to pay special attention to widows, orphans, sojourners, and the poor. But these scribes were neglecting and hurting the very people whom God had commanded them to care for. Now, Jesus doesn't say exactly how this was happening, so people have speculated. Uh, did some scribes take advantage of widows' hospitality? Back in the day, you would never refuse to serve a scribe. Or did some scribes demand exorbitant fees for legal counsel? Well, that still happens today. Or did some scribes convince widows to let them manage their estates and then take more than their fair share as a commission? Again, if that was going on, widows didn't have much legal recourse. So we don't know exactly how this was happening, but uh, the scribes were harming some of the people who were most vulnerable in society. Now, it's possible that some scribes were malicious, sort of like telemarketers today who intentionally target elderly people uh, or uh, lonely people. Uh, but it's also possible that some scribes were mostly oblivious. They had distanced themselves from the concerns of regular people. They might not have thought about how their actions were affecting these widows. You know, it's possible to do lots of damage to other people without actually intending to harm anyone, simply by failing to consider how our actions might affect somebody whose life circumstances are very different than ours. So not only were the scribes harming vulnerable people, they were also dishonoring God. Jesus said, for a pretense, they make long prayers. In other words, their spirituality had become a show. Now, there's no problem with praying for a long time. There is a problem when prayer becomes a show. And so Jesus concluded, those who are seeking the greater honor for themselves will in the end receive the greater condemnation from God. Jesus gave a strong warning against these scribes. And I think we need to take to heart this warning in at least two ways. First, Jesus' warning should cause us to reevaluate who we admire and follow. I think most of us naturally admire and honor people who are gifted and successful, but Jesus encourages us to admire and follow people who are godly and sincere. And if you read the book of 2 Corinthians, it's one of the Apostle Paul's letters, the Apostle Paul talks a lot about this contrast. You see, the Christians in Corinth were attracted to some teachers who could put on a good show. They were strong, they were handsome, they were skilled, they were entertaining. But Paul says these teachers were promoting themselves more than they were promoting Christ. And so Paul warned the Corinthian Christians, he says, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Paul said, don't admire them, beware of them. Now, Paul was not as outwardly impressive as these teachers, 
Uh, we know from a couple of comments Paul made that at times he had health problems uh, when he was uh, traveling throughout the world. He wasn't necessarily the most uh, sort of physically uh, imposing uh, character. Um, but Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 12. He says, we behaved with simplicity and godly sincerity by the grace of God. And later on in that letter, he said, I betrothed you to one husband, even Christ. My greatest concern is that you maintain a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see, a faithful Christian leader is sort of like the best man at a wedding. Uh, or you could think of the maid of honor as well. Uh, but think of the best man's job. What's the best man's job? The best man does whatever the groom asks him to do. He's there to make sure that the wedding goes off without a hitch. But the best man never takes center stage. His goal is never to draw attention to himself. The best man never tries to get the bride to fall in love with him. And similarly, the goal of every Christian leader is to help God's people whom the New Testament calls the bride of Christ, Jesus' bride, to fall in love with him and stay in love with him for the rest of their lives. And then when we've done our job, we can go off stage and join the party. John the Baptist understood this and said, it, in fact, in one place he said he described himself as the friend of the bridegroom, a similar role to the best man in a wedding today. And he said, he, speaking of Jesus, must become greater and I must become less. And so when Jesus came on the scene, John was happy to sort of gradually recede from his role. And he was happy to see people simply follow Jesus, even when they weren't following him anymore. So we should reevaluate who we admire and follow. But second, we should consider what kind of people we are becoming. Because over time, we become like the people whom we admire. See, throughout the Gospel of Mark, it wasn't just the scribes who sought after honor and prominence. Jesus' disciples, on multiple occasions, did the same thing. Chapter 9, verse 34, Jesus' disciples argued with each other about which one of them was the greatest. Chapter 10, verse 37, James and John come to Jesus and say, Promise us the best seats right next to you on your right and on your left in your kingdom, the seats of honor. And both times Jesus said to his disciples, you're way off track. Now what about us? These scribes love to be admired and honored. Do we get overly attached to other people noticing us, appreciating us, thanking us for our contributions? Or do we envy those who seem more outwardly gifted and successful than we are? Do we feel resentful if we are overlooked or underappreciated? Yes, it hurts to be overlooked and underappreciated. It's not right, but that's also part of normal human life in a fallen world. We won't always be properly thanked or recognized. And when we aren't properly thanked or recognized by other people, it's an opportunity to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm doing this for you. 
no matter whether anyone else notices or knows or cares. J.C. Ryle wrote, true grace can wait for honor and cares little what it has on earth. So that's Jesus' warning about the scribes, the people we admire whom we should beware. But in the second half of this passage, Jesus shows us a group of, we, uh, Jesus shows us the people we might ignore whom we should admire. Sort of the reverse in verses 41 to 44. It says Jesus uh, watched the people putting money into the offering box. So Jesus and his disciples were in the temple. Uh, they had been in the outer courts of the temple. Here they would have moved into uh, the next inner court, which was called the court of women, because both women and uh, Israelite women and men could come into that part. Gentiles had to stay in the outer court. But in that part of the temple, that's where they collected the offerings. So there were 13 collection containers where people could uh, deposit their offerings. Each of these containers was shaped like a trumpet with a narrow end at the top uh, so you couldn't stick your arm in and, and grab things uh, to prevent theft. Um, and throughout the day, people would sort of drop in their coins. Every so often, the temple officials would come and empty the containers, and the money was used to fund the temple operations. So when the rich people came by and dropped in a whole bunch of coins, you would hear, Clink, 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 clink. But here Jesus sees a poor widow, probably dressed very simply in traditional widow's clothing, who put in two small copper coins. Clink, clink. You could hardly even hear the sound. Now these were the smallest coins in use at the time. Together they were worth about one sixty-fourth of a day's wage for a laborer. So what's one sixty-fourth of a day's wage for a laborer today? Maybe $1.50, $2? It's enough for a coffee at McDonald's. That's about it. Now, most people would not have paid any attention to this widow and to her offering. Think about the contrast between this woman and the scribes. The scribes were well-educated, well-dressed, politically powerful, financially stable, highly respected male leaders. And this woman was almost certainly uneducated, poorly dressed, politically powerless, financially desperate, vulnerable as a woman, a visible representation of loss and emptiness. Her two cents would make no meaningful difference to the annual budget of the temple. She would not make anyone's list of high-priority donors. But Jesus saw her offering, and he made a big deal of it. Now consider for a moment all the other things that could have been on Jesus' mind at this time. I mean, Jesus has just been through this long series of conversations where people are firing all these questions at him, and then he's asking, challenging them with questions. He could have just... Thought, been thinking about all the people he was talking to, all the hard questions he's just answered, all the crowds who were hearing him gladly, all the temple leaders who were not happy with him and wanted to get rid of him. Most of us would be easily distracted by any one of those things. But Jesus was not too preoccupied to take notice of this poor widow giving her last two cents. You see, Jesus notices and honors people who many of us would pass by without a second thought. 
You know, there are many things that are important, many people and many things that people do that are important to God, but will never make the nightly news. They will never be trending on any social media platform. But what we see here is that Jesus sees. Jesus notices. Psalm 40, verse 17 says, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. And this widow could have sung that song. She could have said that verse. I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. And if the Lord Jesus himself takes notice of us, takes thought of us, that's all that matters in the end. Jesus said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, some people have said, this widow's contribution was sadly wasted because she gave her last two cents to the temple, and the temple was being run by these scribes whom Jesus had just criticized for taking advantage of vulnerable people and dishonoring God, and this widow gave her last two cents to a corrupt institution. Isn't that a shame? Now, there's some truth to that observation, but consider this. If you give money or anything else to any person or to any organization, there is always some possibility that your donation may be wasted or misused. Now, you can do your due diligence, and you should, to know what you're giving towards. You should see that, you know, get to know as much as you can. Is the organization being run well? Do I know what I'm giving to? Is this going to be used properly? That's one reason why we publish the annual budget of the church, so you can know what your donations are going for. And if you have questions, you can feel free to ask. This woman gave according to all the information that was available to her at the time. But one consequence of living in a fallen world is you can't 100% guarantee that all of your donations will always be used wisely. But Jesus did not see this woman's gift as a tragedy or a shame. Jesus praised her gift despite the fact that many of the temple leaders at the time were corrupt. Because Jesus saw in this poor widow an expression of genuine love for God. And so he publicly honored her before all his disciples and everyone else who was listening to him. I mean, think about it. When was the last time that this poor widow had been noticed and publicly praised by a man who had no ulterior motives? When was the last time that her contribution was appreciated and valued? It might have been the first time or the only time. You see, for many people, being poor is not just about lacking material resources. It's an experience of feeling humiliated, ignored, voiceless, hopeless. And so truly helping people who are vulnerable is not only a matter of giving them stuff. It's also a matter of honoring people rightly, as Jesus does here, and rebuilding relationships that have broken down. 
In most people's eyes, this widow would have been defined by everything she didn't have. She didn't have money. She didn't have a husband anymore. She didn't have a well-off son who was taking care of her. But Jesus didn't see her as a have-not. Jesus didn't define her by what she didn't have. Jesus saw what she had, and Jesus saw what she gave. And he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the rest. You see, in Jesus, from Jesus' perspective, the value of a gift is not just the dollar amount relative to the amounts of other gifts. The value of a gift is what it costs us, what we have to sacrifice in order to give. This poor widow did not have to give her last two cents. In the Old Testament, what was the law? Well, the law required, among other things, tithing. That is, giving 10% of one's income. That's a good practice for Christians as well. Uh, Even though it's not uh, specifically mentioned in the New Testament, it's a good practice for Christians to seek to set aside 10% of our income to give, whether it's to the church, to missionaries, or to people in need. But if she was trying to follow that law, and she only had two cents, she didn't have to give anything. According to the law of tithing. Now, if she wanted to be really generous and give half, 50% of what she had, she could have given one coin and kept the other. But she put in everything she had. She went above and beyond. Perhaps she went without eating dinner that night because she had given her last two cents. When was the last time that you gave something away, whether it was money or time or a precious possession, and you felt the loss? J.C. Ryle wrote uh, on this passage, Some persons appear to give much who in God's sight give very little. And some appear to give very little, who in God's sight give very much. If you have only a little that you can give, be encouraged that every gift, no matter how small, given out of genuine love for God, matters. And Jesus himself notices. If God has given you a lot, be challenged. Just because you give a higher dollar amount does not make you the most generous giver in God's sight. And just so you all know, I don't know how much any individual contributes to this church. I don't participate in counting the offering, recording the contributions, or any of such thing. My job is to be your pastor, no matter how much or how little you have. So I'm thankful for some of the deacons, some of the finance committee members who take care of those things diligently and confidentially. This story doesn't give us a rule about how much we must give away. But should not the example of this poor widow move us to giving sacrificially like she did? I can think of a couple of examples that I have seen in where I have seen someone give of their limited resources as generously and wholeheartedly as this widow did. I will not soon forget them. In 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 5, 
the Apostle Paul tells us of another group of Christians who, despite their own poverty, gave generously to help Christians in another part of the world who had been stricken by a famine. Paul writes about them in these words. He says, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity, for they gave according to their means and beyond their means, of their own accord. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You see, this widow in the temple in Jerusalem and the Christians in Macedonia that Paul was referring to in that letter, they weren't looking to be honored and recognized by other people. This widow knew that her offering would have seemed minuscule and insignificant compared to everyone else's, but she gave anyway out of sincere love for God, and that is what true worship is, giving God everything we have. And her sacrifice of love for God would one day produce a harvest beyond anything she could have ever imagined. I mean, think about all the gifts that came into those offering collection containers that day. Which one would have the greatest impact? Hers. All the other people gave their money, and it kept the temple going for a little while, but because Jesus noticed this woman's gift, and because it was recorded for us in the scriptures, Christians throughout history and throughout the world have been inspired and encouraged and challenged by her example. Against all odds, she probably had no clue that her offering would have more than the most minimal impact. But you can't calculate the future impact of anything that is done out of genuine love for God. Out of any sacrifice, no matter how small it might seem to the bystanders. And yet this poor widow's act of worship points to the greatest act of worship ever performed by Jesus Christ himself. You see, we're coming to the climax of the Gospel of Mark. And the climax of the story is when Jesus Christ willingly offers himself as a sacrifice to God on behalf of sinful people like us. This widow was poor. She had very little in terms of worldly resources to offer. Jesus Christ was rich, eternally rich, the Son of God, exalted in the heavens. You can't get any higher than that. And this widow gave her last two cents. She gave all she had. And Jesus Christ would give all he had, which was far more. He gave away his honor, his comfort, his privileges, and his very life. This widow gave despite being overlooked and unappreciated by onlookers. And Jesus gave his life on the cross despite the fact that people looked up at him and they mocked him And they said, come down from the cross if you're the son of God. What you're doing doesn't make a bit of sense. And they ridiculed him. You see, Jesus didn't just give out of his abundance and remain comfortable. Jesus gave at great cost to himself. And he did it all out of genuine love for God. He offered himself fully and completely to God without holding anything back. And Jesus' self-giving sacrifice on the cross 
has produced a harvest far more than, far beyond what anyone would have imagined. That's why we're here today. Because he gave his life and he didn't hold anything back. The Apostle Paul put it this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become eternally rich. Do you see the beauty of his amazing love? Do you see that Jesus is worthy of our admiration and honor and praise now and forever? He is the hero that we ought to look up to and praise forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you see and you notice what so many of us would overlook and ignore. We pray that you would help us to live before an audience of one, before you. We pray that you would forgive us when we have been like the scribes, loving to be admired, needing to be honored, latching on to the praise of others. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your humility and your love and your your self-giving love. Thank you for paying the price for us on the cross. Help us to follow after you in worshiping, in giving all that we have out of love for God, knowing that you have given your very best for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.